Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Thursday, March 3rd. Happy Western Day to all my Western students and alumni out there. Uh, Get to celebrate the university and celebrate the academia that was. And I'm joined, as I always am, by my neighbor, Max. How's it going, my friend? Doing well. Thank you for asking. Finally got through that gauntlet of six days of work over seven. Feels good on the other side. Uh, And I rewarded myself with a Costco membership today because Costco keeps the cost low. How are you doing, bud? I'm doing well. Similar. I splurged. So I told you, right? Team Canada's men's national team. uh, They're doing well. So there is an opportunity to make heavy revenue from the fans by uh, Canada soccer. And of course, naturally, that's what they did. So they dropped a baby. They, uh, they dropped a $50 membership called the Canada red and white membership to allow you exclusive pre-sale access to tickets. Uh, The first game, of course, the one coming up near the end of March here. So a friend and I, we, uh, we split the cost of that. We do have the red and white membership. Hopefully this allows us to get tickets and create an unforgettable memory. I cannot wait. I, I, if we do not get tickets, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself now. I'm all the way in on this team. I've heard of pay to play. I've heard of pay to win. I know pay to pay exists and this isn't the first time that's come up, but geez paying yeah. money for the exclusive chance to pay money uh, a little brutal, <laughs> but you love your boys and it's commendable yes yes and it does come with a couple of other perks the only one the other one that i may use is the discount on merchandise but in the end it is a pay to pay yep yep oh, well boy. that's well, that's I... the kind of stuff you can do now when you earn an income is just do stupid stuff like that <laughs> I mean, if it makes you happy, it's not that stupid. And if that's what you've got to do to go see a historic moment in time, um, so be it. But best case, 15 years from now, success so common in Canadian soccer that that fresh chance for those tickets, um, not quite as competitive and much more widely available, though that hasn't really worked out with the Leafs. We're like six years into the playoffs and still just as impossible to see, but maybe that's more a matter of the fans knowing the first round is their only chance they're going to get. So that keeps the demand high. It's a management strategy. They have a horrible locker room chemistry built in there on purpose. So this team always collapses in the first round so that that first round playoff prices just stay at the premium because they know the fan base wouldn't go so hard if this team was consistently making the second, third rounds look into it. I forget where it was said, and I don't think it's actually true, but I've heard many times that the most profitable season a professional sports team can have is a first or second round playoff exit because the cost of accommodating the national media, as you get to championship finals and finals and having to bring in the extra, uh, and then you're, you're losing out on your TV revenue to national broadcasting companies there. I, 
again, don't know if it's true, but that seems to be it. And so if so, the Leafs have that lockdown. <laughs> I don't want to think about it. We're not here to talk about the Leafs on this podcast. We're here to talk just a couple notes here on a, on a Thursday in March. Not too much on the agenda, uh, but some good stuff to, to maybe get our, our thoughts going. We got a big fight coming up this weekend that Max is going to break down. Uh, and then a little bit from a bunch of different North American sports, football, basketball, a little hockey. But Max, kick us off with the fight of the weekend. Break it down. Colby Covington versus Jorge Masvidal. I cannot believe I forgot to mention this to you. Uh, it was one of the three biggest things to come out of UFC 272. I was just too preoccupied with the two bigger things, the main and the co-main event. But this is a fight. Oh, I don't know how much of the backstory you know. I don't know how much of the trailers you've seen. The UFC it kind of a pre- like the people who have to sell this fight had this one spoon fed to them. Um, zero hard work on their part. The footage is all there. The story is well known to the public. It's just a matter of connecting the dots, coloring in between the lines. But two guys who are best friends, training at the same gym, rising their way through the ranks together, training with each other, supporting each other, happy for each other's wins. You see footage of them um, like cornering each other in their fights, the hugs before they go out and fight, the celebration with the wins. This was a real friendship. And then as Colby Covington started to make his heel turn a similar time to Jorge Masvidal being in the welterweight division, uh, things got a little interesting. And then the breaking point really seemed to come when uh, Colby Covington decided to talk a lot of shit to Joanna Jacek, another member at AT&T Florida, that same gym that they were training at. And shortly after Covington kicked out of the gym, Masvidal and Covington had been kind of quiet up until this point. But around the time Colby got kicked out, the trash talk and insults started flowing freely on both sides. And that's really what this fight is all about, bad blood. Um, Because no matter who wins this fight, the real winner is Kamaru Usman, that the pay-per-view for this weekend is two guys he's beaten twice. Um, I don't have a ton to say on the fight itself. I lean Colby pretty heavily just because Masvidal is a little too comfortable on his back foot. He's against Nate Diaz, against Kamar Usman. He's happy to back up, to lean against the cage. And Colby Covington is the worst opponent in the world to do that against. He just, the nonstop, relentless pressure. If you give an inch, he will take a mile. Uh, He gets that, you thinking about a takedown. As your hands are low, he'll throw high. As you get closer and closer to the cage, he'll run you into it. He's happy to fight in the clinch all day. He's just always working for something, making you work right there with him. And if you fall one step behind that pace, he's going to make you pay in another spot and just start the pain all over. Uh, it, you just need a ton of energy. You need to match that intensity. 
uh, the grappling advantage comparatively a lot smaller against Usman than any other fighter. So he really tries to fight Kamaru on the feet. Against everyone else, he's going to fight a lot more grapple heavy. The comparative advantage much bigger there against Masvidal. So he'll have that in his back pocket. And I liked how Masvidal handled Usman in the grappling for the most part. Um, I don't think there's a danger of Masvidal getting finished by Covington, but I just think the pressure, the work rate is going to be too much. He, of course, has that power, a flying knee, a hook from orthodox or southpaw, that one-shot knockout. Uh, really, Masvidal's... I just I don't see him winning on points. He's not... He's never been really a point fighter um, against... Diaz would be really the only example but that whole fight was going his way and he's gonna have to land heavy early and often to win on points which could happen but like without a couple really significant strikes in the first two rounds I just don't see how he breaks up Colby's flow and rhythm I I just hope we get all the trash talk during the fight uh it's gonna be a fun one honestly the entire card's really solid like um rounded out main card bottom to top even like four or five of the prelims caught my eye this is might be one of those cards that's worth sitting down and watching bottom to top and oh for you you've at least got to check out a couple of the trailers and see if that piques your fancy because hey like two guys who hate each other getting in a cage and almost anything goes is about as classic and archaic and as far back of sports as human hands have you are correct it doesn't it's just a, it's just the foundation of human civilization is, is what you just outlined yeah yeah it's all there and um running it back to our primordial roots this saturday really looking forward to that one clearly don't have a lot to say about it technically sorry for that um but that's going to wrap up this combat corner as we just flow through the show. Oh, you've got some football next. Yeah. So speaking of primordial uh, features and I guess what other primal uh, instincts, we have reached the NFL draft combine on our football slate. And many times when you're evaluating a prospect, you have to evaluate, obviously, performance first and foremost intangibles but in football especially and you see it in basketball too the fit the pure physical attributes of players can actually have a large influence on the way teams make their draft selections so as an example a player in the nfl who just lives at a different weight class or can put up a, a different amount of weight is just going to be able to have an advantage out there on the field when they're moving bodies the really key one that i always see is a quarterback like josh allen is so rare and unique and valuable to teams because when you are that size and you are have that almost stockier build you can afford to take more punishment as a quarterback and that's going to lead to longevity in your career one of the other really key measurements that come through in draft combine is the hand length and so i mean this is this is uh throwing stones at from glass houses here i have small hands myself but the but a top three draft pick 
coming up or a top three quarterback in the upcoming NFL draft, Kenny Pickett. Uh, measured out his hand measurements today, I believe, at eight inches and, and, and a half, which is among the shorter <laughs> hand lengths amongst starting quarterbacks. Um, most notably, <laughs> oh, he's got the ruler out. Max is going to give his hands a measure here. Uh, but most notably, you want to have... I think that's seven inches for me. I don't know if okay. that's how you do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure. But... Um, the, the key thing for quarterbacks is you want to have larger hands to be able to have that ball security, right? Kenny Pickett's hand measurement comes in as historically small, uh, comparing him to a Joe Burrow or a Kyler Murray. Um, obviously, those two are fabulous quarterbacks, but you do have the worry about ball security when you have a hand size that's smaller, less grip on the football. If you get hit, more likely to come loose. And it's a fascinating study into the physical measurements versus what Kenny Pickett has shown off as a player in college this last season. Now, he's a five-year senior, so that also plays against him. But with that hand measurement, he may be falling down draft boards. And as I dive in and do a little bit more research into the upcoming NFL draft, that will definitely factor in where maybe not on my big board in terms of talent, but where I think he'll actually get selected. So an interesting thought uh, experiment there on the hand size versus what we've seen him do on the field. Two thoughts. One, just football, so static a sport compared to this other ones. It's broken up into such small segments with so many different roles on the field that the combine does really factor in more than it will anywhere else just because players roles are so one-dimensional that there will just be a couple of things whether it's speed strength acceleration that really has a very linear relationship with how well they can do that role secondly i googled how to measure hand size my entire google search is just filled with kenny pickett so looking forward to how the algorithm <laughs> interprets that in terms of my ads i did learn how to measure hand size and i've got a nine inches which i guess puts me one above kenny there you go see that and there you there you have it right is the fact that he's got such small hands i, I would say max you're probably slightly above the average in terms of height here in canada yeah. And I, I, so honest, obviously the hand size, <laughs> it, it comps out. I have smaller hands, but I'm below the average height. It's just, it's fascinating that that is the biggest headline coming out of the draft combine now is the size of a guy's hand and that it could really drastically affect the millions of dollars he may or may not make in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, I'm my, interest or knowledge of the subject probably ends at we spent five minutes of our podcast talking about the size of a guy's hands uh, but that's also a new one for us yeah yeah thought oh, we thought guy. we'd just uh we'd go off on a little bit of an adventure there but let's bring it back let's bring it into our wheelhouse here basketball storylines scotty barnes and i had planned on wearing the jersey I've just been so busy at work. It totally slipped my mind. I do have my Raptors Frank and Oak shirt on. Uh, got a rep out, but Scotty, what a last couple of games for the kid. No OG Ananobi, no Fred Van Vliet in either game against the Brooklyn Nets in a back-to-back home-and-home. 
And against the team that they should beat right now, missing Kevin Durant, missing James Harden, and well, 40 slip there, missing Ben Simmons, <laughs> missing Kyrie Irving, uh, the Brooklyn Nets led by Seth Curry and Andre Drummond. Raptors obliterated them the first night. And I believe that was Monday night. Uh, Scotty, what a game. 28, 16, four assists, five steals everywhere. Guarding guys full court when the Raps are up by 30, just fully locked in on that one. Uh, he started the game, I think, eight for eight or nine for nine, just tip in after tip in on the follow. Uh, was truly dominant. And some of the awesome stuff that I saw from him late in that game when the Nets started throwing a zone at the Raptors just as a last-ditch effort to stop the stop the tide. He was just picking out guys through the zone, facilitating at a high level, especially with Fred off the floor. And I was really, really impressed by Scotty. I mean, how can you not love this kid? I don't I it still doesn't feel like we're appreciating enough that he's a rookie. Like if you compare the season he's having to OG, to Pascal, to DeMar DeRozan, it's so far and away so much more advanced than any of those guys but because he's doing it we expect it every night from him and because of the success that this Raptors team has had now fans have become accustomed to winning to a certain extent but what we're seeing from Scotty is is pretty remarkable and pretty uncommon generally we've had a really strong rookie class this year across the board which is also why it might feel like he's not standing out in the same way also the style of play he obviously has his moments but he's not uh above the rim finisher like a Jalen Green he's not a defensive anchor like an Evan Mobley and he obviously plays in a Canadian market so his highlights are not always going to be front and center but it's it's really special what this guy's doing and he does have at least right now something like a Giannis trajectory or uh Pascal Siakam plus trajectory. It's really, really cool what he's been doing. And he follows it up the next night uh, in a much closer win over the Nets with 18, 10, and four. So it's just really, really, really amazing stuff from Scotty Barnes. Yeah, I I don't quite know where I'd put the trajectory at. Um the when I think about Giannis, I just think about physicality. I love the versatility in his game probably more than anything else combined with that hustle and that confidence you're talking about it. It's going to be really interesting to see what the we've seen him take the skill set he had with like a full head of steam right from game one of this season. And we've seen that slowly temper small improvements getting more comfortable and familiar with the pace of the league the biggest change between then and now I cannot wait to see what offseason holds for this guy because I think however he wants to improve his game he's going to improve it Uh, the the no look passes one of um something I remember really strongly from his season debut he just flung a couple that went out of bounds in this really tight close game against the Nets fourth quarter he had one in particular I remember just so clutch and that's what I love about the confidence that he's doing the same things he was doing in game one but he's just doing them a lot tighter a lot better um that block sealing the win for us um 
it was I I hate that that game against the Nets was so close because like you said this is a team we should be beating easily when you factor in no OG no Fred you can say okay our best two guys out their best two guys out that should still give us the handicap just looking at the composition of these teams um and then I also wanted to mention like yeah just the trajectory we have a decent idea what to expect with OG with Pascal and I was actually thinking watching this second of the back-to-back games that um, Malachi Flynn kind of nicely following that trajectory you could even add uh, Fred Van Fleet to that list as a guy who showed some promise early and then slowly added to the game uh, stepping up and then finding that his place as a starter as a clutch core player and I can see Flynn on that trajectory which I'm happy to see I'm loving the decision making I'm seeing from him attacking the rim well the defense full court when he wants it to be still some athleticism some scoring things that need to be raised really to get to that level that those first three are at um so just thinking about that seeing scotty way beyond that is so exciting yeah yeah for sure you bring up a great point there about malachi let's remember the best part of malachi's rookie season was around this time last year he ended up winning uh eastern conference rookie of the month Uh, i think it was either in march or the last month of the season in april there and he really started performing well in an opportunity when a lot of guys were out injured or with COVID or just sitting for rest because they were shutting down for the season. And he's had to play big minutes in the last two games to cover up for Fred. And I thought he's looked pretty solid. Uh, The shot looks a lot more confident and the defense, especially really important. Nick nurse is not going to play you unless you play defense. And that's why Delano Benton was getting those minutes earlier in the season, but Malachi is really locked in. He had a great, couple of possessions against Goran Dragic and it was so sweet to watch that guy struggle against us um uh, and I, I feel bad for Dragic <laughs> oh I don't um <laughs> <laughs> Flynn just looked really good there we're obviously going to see how he does tonight in uh, a game that the Raptors always seem to lose against Detroit um but really excited to see what he's shown and it does lead into the conversation with the performance of Scotty Barnes that I think the Raptors should consider down the stretch here. And this idea was also proposed uh, on the mismatch podcast by Kevin O'Connor. What the Raptors should be looking into is maybe having Scotty take on more of that facilitator role, right? He was the point guard for Florida state and he is used to running an offense. And we always know that Fred Van Vliet is at his absolute pinnacle of his powers when he plays off ball. We saw that in the NBA finals where he got one finals MVP vote against Golden State. He was coming off ball. He was hitting deep threes off the catch. And he's just, it seems like he's so much more dangerous when he's catching against a defense, has the potential for the three, but then can still run an offense and set someone else up, but doesn't have to be that primary facilitator. I think everyone else settles into their roles so much better if Scotty becomes almost like that point forward. Siakam, OG, Fred, Gary, all can get their own shots and they're great at doing it, but they instantly all go up another level when they have someone setting the table for them. So it's definitely something for the Raptors to look in you 
into. And then on top of that, Gary Trent Jr. is among the lead leaders in uh, isolation efficiency and uh, isolation success. Uh, he's up there with James Harden, with Kevin Durant, and it's because he's getting less volume. But we saw it down the stretch of this Brooklyn game. He was the guy that they were giving the ball to with no OG, with no Fred. And he was getting to the rim, getting fouled, and he was also making tough shots, which he has done all season. So another potential thing to look at is, while you have all of these guys who can score, Gary Trent Jr., if you know he's on one night, maybe he's your guy that you're going to every possession down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, an interesting time to say it, because in that game, he really wasn't on until it came time to get down the stretch, and that's what you love those players just who can turn on having the memory of a goldfish forget the first three quarters forget the first half of the fourth quarter some really clutch play from gary i guess i i feel like a team's most dangerous when they can always keep you guessing i feel like with so many ball handlers so many facilitators so many guys with great vision i don't need a primary ball handler on this team i'm happy to have like five different guys carrying the ball, keeping defensive get, keeping defenses guessing, each taking turns, getting that best off-ball look um, is what I'd like. But I don't know how to coach a basketball team, so. Yeah, and we'll, yeah we'll see. I, I trust Nick Nurse. Yes. Uh, we'll see what he does. Uh, but, yeah. Fun to watch, Scotty, and fun to watch this Raptors team. They are now only a game and a half back of the Cleveland Cavaliers for the five seed. It is them, Boston, and Cleveland all kind of in that that mishmash there in the middle. And Boston has been hotter than all heck as of late. So it might be Cleveland, the team that the Raptors are chasing to get out of the play-in tournament. (laughs) Another team, like Gary Trent, that seemed to turn it on there late last night, the Milwaukee Bucks. A 21-6 to run to finish out the game. Drew Holiday hits the game-winning layup with a 1.6 seconds to go. And this is the epitome of championship DNA right here, where the Milwaukee Bucks, not as great a season, just bluntly, not a great season by their standards after being the number one seed almost like five years in a row. They're always near the top. They're struggling this season but they're going up against the number one seed in the East. It gets down to crunch time and they find a way to turn up the defense to another level, just like they did all throughout last year's playoffs. And they end up getting a really big win to help keep their season on track in terms of looking for a a number one or a number two seed in the Eastern conference, which will be extremely valuable for them. If you want to catch a team that has already played two really tough games coming out of a play in tournament. Yeah. My, I don't know. It's funny. I feel like you always talk about ceilings of teams and I always talk about floors of teams watching this game. Giannis is, raises the floor for this Bucks team for me. I know that's a weird thing to say, but he's just so Mr. Consistent. You give him the ball with momentum from that mid-range spot. He can't help but give you 25 to 30 points a night on like a decent efficiency. More than that is always going to be a stretch. Always, sometimes you're going to get it. 
But this team, you're always going to get that from Giannis. This team excels when Middleton and Holiday really step up their game. And that's when the ceiling of this team hits championship level. Those last six minutes, that's exactly what we saw from this Bucks team. And yeah, again, I'm a little salty about it because I picked Miami to finish number one in the East and every loss they get at this point in the season, making me a little more nervous that that's not going to happen. But man, I'm really hyped for what I feel like is going to be kind of the trilogy in uh, playoff matchups between these teams with it being split right now. Um, And this just a preview of how great that's going to be. You're absolutely right. I, I hadn't thought about that. That's an excellent narrative and we shall see another big piece that we didn't see in last night's game was Kyle Lowry, who uh, always seems to be in and around Milwaukee in big playoff series, along with the Miami heat. And he's a guy maybe you'd like to have defending drew Middleton in the last possession of a game rather than Gabe Vincent, but we won't know until we see it happen. And Lowry's had a tough time staying on the floor this season. So hopefully he can get healthy because this Miami team has it outperformed at least my expectations and they are ranked really highly uh, in terms of ceiling to make it far in the playoffs. All right, last bit of news here. I uh, want to congratulate Sidney Crosby. Yes, now, a couple of concussions that really derailed what, maybe could have been a top three all-time NHL career. I still think he is a, well, everyone knows he's a guaranteed Hall of Famer. That much is not debatable. And I think he, yeah, he could end up definitely landing in a top 10 player of all time conversation. If not, if he may already be there by some people's standards, but mine, a statistic to definitely add to his illustrious resume is he does set the NHL record for the most consecutive seasons, averaging one point per game or more. Sorry. The model of consistency, Sidney Crosby, 17. He's been playing for 17 years, Max. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah, and he's averaged a point per game in all of them. Uh, The... The three beneath him, um, well, Gretzky, Marcel Dion, and then the third one is escaping me right now. But, oh, and Mario Lemieux, as I hear over my shoulder. (laughs) They had 15. And obviously, some of the peaks of their seasons, they were averaging two, 2.5 points per game, which is far greater than Crosby has ever amassed in a single season. But the model of consistency, despite the injuries, despite the change of play, almost moving away from him in a sense of the speed of play, he's always been a little bit more of a possession guy. Uh, And yet he just, every time he steps on the ice, he produces and it's not the flashiest thing in the world, but it is certainly spectacular to watch Sid do his thing. My top five for sure. Wow. There you have it. There's the hot take we needed near the end of the pod. Really? Is it that hot? I don't know. I feel like, like I'm feeling in a great place on my Novak take, by the way. He just fired his coach or they, they parted ways. 
I'm yeah. I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good about it. <laughs> I mean, did his coach just tell him to get vaccinated? <laughs> um, like the only way, even if he only plays the U.S. Open, I still don't feel good about your take, and I'm optimistic for Wimbledon. Okay, so we ended up finishing up. Yeah, a little bit of tennis talk to finish things up in baseball news. First two series of the season have been canceled now. I imagine there's more coming. They they do not seem close in negotiations. So good job, baseball. You continue to mess it up and ruin it and die as a sport. <laughs> not much more That's to be said after that. Bit. Yeah. Enjoy the sports this weekend. Enjoy your weekend. Big fight, big basketball, big hockey. We're here for it all. And we'll talk to you all on Sunday. Thank you so much for listening. I had something queued up to end the show, but he wrapped it up so well. I've got nothing to do but go sports next door. Signing out.